The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Faith, hope, and love. That's what I'm going to talk about this morning. Faith, hope, and love. Here's a verse for you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. I think we can all remember that. Three things, three things will last forever. When we hear that, we're talking about things that are foundational to the kingdom of God. Three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. I actually think, I'm looking around here, a number of people are nodding. I think you probably know this verse, which is good news. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And the greatest of these is love. Love has a look about it. You know what? We love it. It has a feel about it. It's nice. It has a way about it. We love to be loved. We love it when somebody loves us. We love the feeling of love. We love the experience of love. We want to be loved. We want to know what it, that we are loved. We love being loved. Love has a way about it. has a feeling about it. Love is great. We like it when people love us and do loving things towards us. Paul talked about the importance of love. Let me read again from 1 Corinthians 13. This time I'm going to the beginning of the chapter, the first three verses. Paul said this, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others... I would have gained nothing. Now, when you hear that passage, I think you get the message that Paul is writing to the Corinthians and the message that we can see. You can have many accompaniments to your spiritual life, including fasting. You can have many accompaniments to your spiritual life. But in the end, if you don't love others, they're useless. If in your Christian life you're not displaying the characteristics of love towards other people, then you have gained nothing. Now that's quite a strong thing to say. It's quite a strong thing to hear. Especially you put it that way. Love is so important. Yeah, I can understand that. Love is important. But why is love important? Love is important because of two things. It's because it's what God is like. And it's because it's a summary of God's teaching and God's ways. Love. Love is what God is like. Love is what God is like. 1 John 4 verses 7 and 8 says this. Dear friends, 
Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If we're going to be followers of God, then the expectation of that following is that we become like him. Disciples, the disciples of Jesus, the disciples, as we are all disciples, following Jesus Christ, what's the object of that? It's not just that we're called disciples. It's that we become like the person we're following. We become like Jesus. If we're going to be followers, Christians, those who are walking in the ways of God, then we need to be becoming like God. What is God like? God is love. That is what God is like. And if we're going to be followers of God, then we're going to be those who are learning how to love. Not only God, but to love others. And it's because of that that John writes, but anyone who does not love doesn't know God. (laughs) Look, if you're meeting people who are doing things that are unkind to you, you know what's the root of that? They don't know God. That's what the root of it is. Because you see, knowing God is knowing love. And knowing love and being like God and experiencing God means that more of His love is coming into you and therefore you have the ability to love like God. So knowing God helps us to love. Love, what is uh, love? It is what God is like. Secondly, love, it's a summary of God's teaching and ways. Jesus was asked the question, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And we can read his reply in Matthew 22, where he says this, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So in summary, Jesus was saying this. He says the whole law, everything is summed up like this. Love God, love your neighbor. These are simple things for us to get hold of, aren't they? All we need to do is if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ is to love God and to love our neighbor. If we put that into practice, then we will be walking in the ways of God. Paul emphasized this too in his teaching when he wrote to the Galatians. Galatians 5.14, he said this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I hope we can see that love is important. Actually, that's not right, is it? Love isn't just important. Love is vital. It's a vital part of what our lives should look like. Our lives should be loving. But there are challenges. Of course, there's always challenges. And you know what the challenges are? We all tend to have a a view on what love looks like. I like it when I get a hot cup of coffee in the mornings. I like it when I do this. I like it when people do that. I like this. People have all different views. This is what love is. And there's lots of things. It's true to say that is what love is. There used to be a a, a small cartoon in the newspaper. I think it was in the Daily Mail. 
that was about love is, and it used to have these different things, love is doing the washing up, and those are true statements in, in one sense, but we want to look at what the whole of love. In fact, if we're actually going to have a correct understanding of what love is, then let's not go to the newspapers or what people are saying, but let's come to God and say, God, what are you saying? Because if you are love, then you are the one who knows how to tell us what love is. So let's go to him and find out. We don't just want to say things that we think are love, but we need to find out exactly what love is. And so therefore, we need to turn again to this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This time, let's read about what God says love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 to 7, God says this, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That's what God says love is and over the next couple of weeks, I want to unpack this a little bit more so that we can look at that. But right now, I want to tell you a story about the Moravians, a group of Christians who really had an impact on the world. But before the Moravians, I want to take you back a little bit further, back to the 13th century, and a man in Czechoslovakia, in, yes, in the Czech Republic, whose name was John Huss. John Huss. He was a reformer. He was somebody who was living under the time of the Catholics because that's what religion was. It was basically the Catholic faith that was being uh, pronounced. Uh, actually, it's not just about Catholicism. It was a certain theology that was linked to the uh, Catholic Church. And he was feeling like not everything that's being said in church is right. We need to live our lives differently from this. And so he found within him this sense of reform, this, these ideas coming up, these challenges to what he was hearing in church and the way that people were behaving. And he started to rise up against this. Well, of course, you know what happens when you rise up against a system. Usually the system comes and it wants to slap you back in the face. And as John Huss began to speak in his sermons against indulgences, against certain practices that are in the church. Indulgences were when the church was saying, listen, you don't need to worry about your sins. Pay a bit of money to the priest. He'll give you a bit of paper that says you're forgiven for those things. And so there's this corruption, as it were, that was creeping into the church. And John started to speak against this. It comes to the point, actually, where the Catholic church say, like, we're excommunicating you. You're no longer part of this communion. And John went in for a two-year sort of, not I would say sabbatical, but it was actually he just had to disappear for two years. But then he was invited, strangely, to this sort of convention meeting that they were having where they wanted to talk about these things. And he was slightly nervous about going, but no, 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 we're not going to attack you. You're going to be fine. Come along to the meeting. We want to hear your views. So he came to this convention where all the Catholics were gathering together, the priests were gathering together. But when he arrived, he was arrested and put in jail. And then he was charged and eventually he was actually burned at the stake. But he had a great impact. And you can see what was actually happening from his life 
In fact, it was only about 80 years after him that Martin Luther came. And so there was this reformation, this change that was happening in the church. And you know what? That change is still happening today because these questions are being asked of us. Where is the reality of our God in our community? Churches up and down the country are preaching different things. But we want to hear stuff that changes us. And changes us so that we become more like him. And the evidence of God is more appearing in our lives. From John Huss, there was a whole group of people that were being stirred with these things. You had the traditional church, if you like. And then you had people who wanted to see the reality of God in their lives. Stirring up. And as these people were stirred up, so they were persecuted. So there was a great many people across Europe who were being persecuted. And this was happening over years and years. Let's just move forward to the early 1700s. There's a rich man, a count. He lives in a corner of what is now Germany. You've got Czech Republic and Germany. Those are the area that I'm talking about. This rich man known as Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. He purchases from his grandmother a piece of estate. And he says, like, on this estate, now this land that I own, there's going to be freedom of preaching in this area. In actual fact, we're going to preach the gospel to all of the, the servants and the, the, the field workers and the people who are around. We're going to preach the gospel to these people. They need to hear the truth. And because it was his land, he could do it on his land. But you know what? Hearing this it excited a number of people. And, and dissidents, those who were suffering for their spiritual views, began to migrate towards John, uh, towards uh, Zinzendorf. And so Zinzendorf said, look, I tell you what, I, I own more than this piece of land. Why don't you start a community? If you're finding persecution, gather on my land. And this place called Heronhut is what he was talking about. And people came there, and these Christians gathered, and they started to build a community of like-minded believers. People who had followed the ways, the teaching of John Huss from all of those years before. But not only them, other streams of Christianity. Some were actually Presbyterian. Some were Baptists. They had these differing uh, theological viewpoints, if you like, but they had one desire. We want to see the reality of God coming amongst his people and showing them as a community the love of God being expressed around us. And we want freedom to worship. And so they found that in this place called Heron Hut, and they started to build a community there. Praise God for Count Zinzendorf, they said, for all that he has helped us with. So all of these Christians having this desire to be together of one heart, of one mind, to serve God, to see his kingdom come. Doesn't that sound great? But you know what? As time went on, and we're talking about one year, two years, a few more people gathered together, three years, four years. After five years, there was divisions, there was judgmentalism, there was separation because all of these people had slight nuances in their way of doing things. This is how we think it ought to be done. No, we don't think it's how it should be done. This is the right way to do this. We think this should be expressed. No, no, no. We think this. All of that was going on amongst these Christians who were believing in God, who wanted to see the kingdom of God come. In actual fact, after five years, it got to such a point that Zinzendorf nearly said, enough. We're going to close this whole community down. And it got to that point, but he said, okay, look, look, before we do that, I'm going to come and I'm going to preach to you. So he came and he preached. 
He preached the goodness of God. He preached the things that he felt that people need to hear. And they prayed together. And after a period of this preaching and this prayer, they decided this. We're going to draw up a covenant of behavior. This is the behavior that we expect everybody to adhere to living in this community so that we can find unity together. And so they drew up this Moravian covenant of brotherhood, of this community. They drew that up and they all agreed to it and they started living together and they, or they carried on living together and they found that this helped. But there were still problems, there were still niggles, there were still things going on. Because you know what? We all find it difficult to love God wholeheartedly and to love our neighbors wholeheartedly. Perhaps you want to reflect back over your own Christmases at various points. And I'm not saying whether we had good Christmases or bad Christmases, but I'm sure there's been a few moments where you think, oh, no, no, we don't do it that way. This is the way it should be done. Oh, no, you forgot this. The classic was nearly when we'd finished our Christmas meal. I've got all my relatives there. Then I remembered, don't you usually have cranberry sauce with turkey? I'm just going to get that out of the cupboard now. That's the sort of thing. You know, they're just silly things, and yet things that can cause irritation and frustrations with us. Those things can happen. They were still happening. This community needed God. So they decided that we need to pray. So they started to pray together. And there was one evening when Zinzendorf came amongst them. He preached again, and then he said to them, Listen, we're going to have 24 hours of prayer. We're going to have a night prayer meeting, in actual fact. So he gathered them together. This was on the 5th of August. I've got the date here somewhere. 5th of August, 1727, an all-night prayer gathering was held. And the people who were in that prayer meeting were crying out, God, you need to send your Holy Spirit, because it is only you who is able to bring the change to our hearts. We have desire for things. We even action things. We try things. We draw up covenants. We draw up ways of behavior. We try to adopt them. But we recognize we need something more than that. We need you. And so they cried out for the Holy Spirit. And that meeting was a good meeting. And it, it certainly, it's, they experienced some power of the Holy Spirit during that time. But as the next few days went on, God began to move amongst them. And in fact, on a meeting on the 13th of August, so just a few days later, the Holy Spirit came upon the gathering of people in the church service in a powerful and new way. And God poured out his love for them and filled them with his love. And the result of God working in their lives brought complete transformation to that community. It was following that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which the Moravians declare as their Pentecost, that then began 24 hours of prayer. But actually, the 24 hours of prayer carried on 24 hours of prayer for seven days. No, it carried on for weeks. It carried on for months. In fact, they had a 24-hour non-stop prayer meeting for a hundred years that came out of that. And also out of that move of God was probably the greatest missionary thrust that actually the nations have seen for many, many years. As they sent out missionaries and missionaries from this small group of people, a relatively small group of people, all around the world to see that people might be saved and come to know God in the way that they had come to know Him. 
They tried to experience God's love, but they found that they ended up just hurting each other, judging each other, and actually becoming disunited rather than being united. But when God came, everything changed. And you know what? Paul says, if I speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Loving God and loving others is the highest calling of our faith. And it's what we want to give ourselves to as we come into this new year. We don't want to be noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. I don't know about you. Yeah, I have a desire to love as God wants me to love. But I find that I can't do that. There's only one person who can do it. I need to call upon him to come and help me live life the way that he wants me to live it. As we come into this new year, I want to encourage us all. To say to God, God, please come and do a fresh work in my heart. Come and help me to not only love you wholeheartedly, but to love my neighbor as I love myself. It's a tall order. If I look back over my Christmas period with my relatives, there were many moments when I was frustrated. Let's just leave it like that. Love is teaching me that I have to think differently. I have to act differently. I find I don't have the resource for that. So I have to go back to God to say, God, please, will you do a new work in me? And as we come here today, the first day of this new year, the year that has so much potential for every one of us, we need to ask God, God, please, will you come afresh upon our lives? Will you fill our families with your love? Will you fill our hearts with love for you? And will you fill us with love for one another? Will you help us to change? Will you help us to throw off those things that so easily beset us? And will you help us to come into alignment with what you say love is? So that truly we may be patient and kind and all the things that love is each and every day in our lives. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.